Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Kingval. Got Todd Yates with me and Aaron Nojima with me today. We've got some uh, some interesting Formula One news. We've got an off week for racing. It's going to be a good conversation before we get into it. How are you guys doing? I'm just here to talk about Max Verstappen and have Aaron respond. <laughs> I'm here as my uh, Hulkenberg impression to fill in for Roy. Just not as funny or good looking. Uh, yeah, it's it's a. Uh... It's it's interesting to try to do a podcast and have have like everybody get on at the same time and always a challenge. But it's funny because it kind of naturally worked out this way. We'd been talking about having you back on, Aaron, because for for various reasons. But like after after we talked about uh you know Yuki and and all of that stuff, it was like well we should have just had Aaron on for that conversation to begin with as a Red Bull fan, but. Now, now here we are a couple of weeks later. And I'm pretty sure time. we ref. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's better this time because uh, Max has a, you know, has finished some races in a row. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm better about being on now. I was just going to say, I, I think we reference you at least like once an episode. So it's like you're a part of the podcast anyway. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, you're, you're always dropping the knowledge in the discord. So it's, it's like, that's, that's feeding some of the topics for the podcast, even in, in a lot of episodes, but glad to have you on board for the episode. Uh, we don't have a new review, but you know, formula one is complicated and that's why we got an Aaron here to help us understand it all. <laughs> and, you know, I forget what the other one was, uh, the pretzels uh, leaving you parched, right? So mm-hmm. grab a drink, sit down, enjoy the show. But if you want to leave us a review, the point of that uh, nonsensical rant I just went on was uh, Rowett, who is not here this week, is uh, he's kind of a genius when it comes to dropping random quotes and sayings into the show, into the episode. So if you want to leave us a review and leave something that you can stump him with, I, I, uh, I would strongly challenge you to do so. And I'm sure he'll rise to the occasion if you can figure out, you know, something obscure to drop into the review. But anyway, we, we just want the feedback. Let us know how we're doing. If you like the show, if you don't, what we can do to improve it, what we should keep doing that you do like, all those types of things. Apple Podcasts specifically, but you can hit, hit follow on, what is it, Spotify, you can hit follow on. You can subscribe to us on Audible, on Amazon Music, basically any of the podcast platforms that you listen to. Just look up Exhaust Notes or potentially Exhaust Notes FM, and you can find us on social at those handles too. But tonight we wanted to, or today, whenever you listen to this, we wanted to talk about kind of the new rules or the new changes to the cars that are coming, the new rules that are potentially coming down the road. And like the big rumor in Formula One right now is Audi and Porsche, uh, you know, potentially joining Formula One. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to have Aaron on to have this conversation is because he and I have been going to sports car racing, uh, you know, basically for the last 20 plus years here in California. So um, one of the things that I am hoping to at some point kind of include in this podcast down the road is is some of these other racing series that we like, you know, like Todd mentioned in a previous episode, some of the IndyCar stuff that he went to and, and was following. And I think that Formula One is like the gateway drug for motorsports, in my opinion. And as a fan of sports car racing, 
Porsche and Audi are, are maybe not right this second, but over the last 20 years have been very dominant in, in various forms of sports car racing, whether that's world endurance challenge or, um, you know, previously American Le Mans. I don't know why I got a Harley outside my window right now, but, uh, America. So I, I say all that to say, like, we got to talk about Porsche and Audi jumping into formula one for the first time in basically forever. It seems like, but what do you guys think of this? And, and where do you think this is all headed in the new, uh, next few years? Aaron, your I'm, thoughts. I'm excited. I mean, uh, even though, so for those that don't know, VW Group, obviously Volkswagen, owns a crap ton of brands, which includes Volkswagen, Audi, Bentley, uh, Porsche, Lamborghini, Bugatti, Lamborghini, Ducati. Bugatti. Um, yeah, they, they have a lot under their umbrella. Like, you know, like when you go through the rabbit hole, finding out like who who Nestle owns or Pepsi, um, BW owns a crap ton. But the interesting thing is Porsche and Audi, especially as race programs, has always separated themselves into to their own uh, racing teams and programs as well. Um, Porsche, obviously, is history in racing is long, diverse, and pretty good. Um, so them possibly joining Red Bull is obviously an exciting thing. But then Audi in general, they, especially like Nick mentioned in World RWC and Le Mans, um, had very dominating years. And they both, both the sides have proved that they're just race winners. And so having more manufacturers, especially in Formula One, I think is a, is a great thing. Usually has just more representation. Um, not that there needs to be another German team or German teams, uh, but maybe that means we get German race back or Germany race back uh, on a calendar since it's been a few years. And then, uh, yeah, just more, more, I think, uh, t- manufacturers and more teams, possibly more teams. It's always a good thing just to have uh, better racing, just like we've been seeing this year. Ho- hopefully uh, the racing just keeps continuing to get better. Yeah, I think you nailed it right off the top there. The most exciting aspect of having these German brands uh, come into Formula One is the return of the German Grand Prix, either at Nürburgring, which was an okay track, but Hockenheim. Like, I actually miss Hockenheim. That track is awesome. Always created good races, weather unpredictable. I mean, if you remember the last time we raced at Hockenheim, that's when Mercedes dressed up in their like 1950s gear and then they like crashed out. It was just chaos or carnage as Rohit's favorite word. Um, it was, yeah, I really miss that track, but back to the brands. Um, I really am excited about Porsche joining Red Bull as a manufacturer. I think like to talk about a little bit about that Porsche up until 2018 was working on uh, and building a 1.6 liter turbo hybrid engine for Formula One, and they even like full on did the R and D, built the uh, built the engine, and tested it on the dyno. So they had like a full package. Um, and then, if you're unfamiliar with world news, that's when Dieselgate hit the VW Group, and they lost a whole ton of money on recalls and et cetera, et cetera. But with 
Liberty Media taking over F1 and this huge uptick in not only American interests, but just kind of a global overall interest. Um, it's smart for them to, to, to be jump, jumping in now um, with enough time before the 2026 rules take over that we'll talk about. Which sounds weird because we just had this whole like new era this year and we're already talking about the next era of Formula One cars. Um, Audi, I'm a little less excited about because the one kind of persistent rumor about it is that they're the well, it's not even a rumor. They've been actively and openly trying to buy McLaren, which is my team. Not really excited about it. And it doesn't really make sense for them to become like an engine partner for McLaren because there's no correlation between those brands. McLaren's British car manufacturer, Audi's, uh, you know, German car maker. Um, but I, I would be absolutely ecstatic for them to join uh, as an actual constructor and make their own car and engine. Um, though the last news about that potential thing happening is I think like a week or so ago, Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren, um, said that they're not for sale, like once and for all. They had talks with Audi, uh, and Audi even increased the purchase price to like seven over $700 million, which is pretty crazy. Um, and they said like, no, nope, we're good. Um, and it was eventually to buy out not only McLaren, F1 team, but McLaren road cars. So overall, I'm excited for to have more teams on the grid. I'm equally as excited as this is also probably helping Andretti's case for having a team, um, which is what I want to have the most, like an actual US-based team, because even though Haas is a US-based team, it doesn't really feel like a US-based team for some reason. Um, and if Andretti joins we'd have an American driver almost guaranteed. So, but overall, I think it's really exciting to have more teams on the grid. Um, I think that would be, if you added Audi as a constructor and Andretti as a constructor, that would be kind of my cap, but Nick, what are your thoughts? I kind of feel the same way about the whole, like VW, um, the the group buying McLaren, right? Like that to me is just as a, as a fan of the, not only the F1 team, but of the cars, the street cars as well. I think that would be, you know, definitely uh, disheartening for me. Just, it seems like it, it takes away from, from, you know, from what the brand is. But I think as far as either of the, you know, Audi and, and Porsche in Formula One. I mean, I, I think it's great. I think I think at some point, you know, we're going to see more expansion. Um, at some point, we're going to see more expansion anyway. You know, Audi and Porsche both ha both have like you know to Aaron's point, Porsche is you know their racing history is is broad across tons of different you know racing formats, racing. Uh, I don't know, sanctioning bodies, et cetera. Right. Audi is not, not quite as diverse. Um, you know, there's definitely like they've, they had a lot of success in, in Le Mans for, you know, a number of years. 
and a lot of the there's a lot of crossover from Formula One drivers to those, you know, whether it's a whether it's like a you know, just a a sports car. Um, like what do you what do you call it? Like a sports car, like the GT three GT four class. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? like like yeah, I'm thinking like it's it's if it's like FIA does like the WEC World Endurance Challenge, right? Those sports cars also race in or would have raced in like American Le Mans back in the day. So you would see them at at places here in the States, but you would see drivers that came from Formula One or went to Formula One, vice versa. Like if if somebody raced in like 24 hour Le Mans or even like 24 hours of Sebring or someplace like that, when you need extra drivers, you would end up seeing Formula One drivers hop over and, and take a seat for a weekend when they could. And I think that's a real, real cool part of of both of these kind of connections to other motorsports. You know, there's definitely uh, racing for all the brands in some form. You know, Ferrari competes in like the GT classes in those. So, you know, I should I guess I should explain that a little bit for if you don't know how like sports car racing works. The top tier sports car racings would be like P1 or LMP1. They're going to be essentially like uh, think of like a Formula One car with a full body over the top of it. Right. Like it's very, very similar in the way that it the, the visual of it, it looks like a race car. And then you kind of go down to P2 or LMP2. That's a slightly smaller version, a little bit less power, uh, you know, depending on the on the series. And then you get into like GT, GT Pro. Those are basically highly modified streetcars for the most part. Like they they have to have a uh, like a streetcar based body in order for it to work, right? So Ferrari has and Porsche have been really really successful in that. They sell cars basically to people that are just like almost turnkey race cars to go racing. It's expensive as hell, but it works really well because the people that can that can afford to do it, they don't want to take the time and energy or chances of building a car and messing it up. So they can buy basically a race spec car and then kind of, you know, make slight modifications to it to make it their own, throw their own paint schemes, sponsors, all that stuff, livery. Um, and so that racing body is really fascinating to me. And the reason why I love it probably more than formula one even is that all four of those different groups would be on the track at the same time. So think about what, how formula one is when things get bunched up this year and how the passing and the, and the battles that happen in the middle of the pack that like the best racing in formula one has been happening in the middle of the pack for the most part this season. And that's taken a long time for formula one to get back to that, right? Like there's been many years where like that just didn't exist and that's where the rule changes come in. But in sports car racing, you have to do that, but you also have to do that navigating three other classes of race cars. So some of them might be top speeds of 180, 200 miles an hour. Some of them might be top speeds of 140, 160. And you can imagine what that does over a three hour race. Everything is mixed up. Even to the last laps, you might, you might have teams that have to fight through slow cars, you know, slow cars, air quotes on slow cars, but like, you might have to have to fight through those other classes in order to win. And that's always something I've really loved about it. But I think too, like the diversity of manufacturers in formula one has been not, not just manufacturers, but like engine providers and all that has always been lacking comparatively. Right. 
sports car racing, you get a lot of diversity because people really just got to figure out how to make it happen where like formula one is, is like massively big business. Not to say that sports car racing or any form of racing isn't expensive as hell, but with formula one, you know, like there's a huge commitment and usually they're committing to a full season or multiple seasons for those sponsorships. They, they go big from the very get go where, you know, we've seen teams that couldn't finish seasons in formula one because they ran out of funding, but it's really, really rare, right? Like usually they figure out a way to, to make something happen. You know, even when rich energy pulls the plug on Haas, they still manage to, to, you know, get to every race. They might not be competitive, but they're still there. And with other, with other racing, that is a much different experience in my opinion. It seems that way as a fan, at least. So Porsche and Audi kind of coming from a lot of success in that type of racing really will, it'll be really interesting to see how that translates. I mean, obviously when you're a massive company like the VW group, you have, you know, the only thing you can't do is lie to people about the diesel fuel that you're burning through your, you know, like other than that, you've got the money to do whatever you want because you have arguably four or five of the most successful brands in, in automotive history. Right. So it's hard to, to not want them to be a part of it, but I think my hesitation is kind of what you were saying, Todd. It's like, you want them to come into it. And for the sneaker people that, you know, listen to the sneaker history podcast, I would relate this to like, not as, as not, it's not an exact representation, but it's almost like Nike getting into Nike SB in the early 2000s, right? The people that are really passionate about it are going to be really hesitant. Like, you know, this is a big business that could come in and really throw some weight around. You know, look, they're, they're trying to buy McLaren. Like they're just trying to buy McLaren, the entire company and team, not just like, Hey, we want to come in and be a partner. They're like, can we just buy you and you can get out of the way and we can do this shit. So like, that's always something to be hesitant about in my opinion as a really dedicated fan but also a good example of that if you look at night what nike did with skateboarding and they brought a lot of attention they made a lot of people very successful professional skateboarders that might not have been professional skateboarders and the trickle down of that means that there's smaller brands that can actually make pro skateboarders out of nike athletes too and support them with product and all those things in ways that you know Maybe you don't have that option in like your traditional sports car racing, I guess is the best way to put it. So pluses and minuses on both sides. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm here for it though. Like I, I loved, I would love to see Porsche, you know, kind of, it's hard to say like the, the, the partnerships, cause there's so many things that have been thrown around, but I saw something that was a conversation around Porsche and Red Bull. And then I saw uh, Sauber and, I think that was Audi, right? So there's just a lot of things that are up in the air and and it's just an interesting thing to be paying attention to as the season goes on. I think a lot of it has to just go with uh, the excitement around Formula One, right? Like um, this technically hasn't officially been announced. The VW Group CEO pretty much said like, yeah, this is the direction and we pretty much are going to do it. But they haven't officially uh, announced it and the rumors... Um, because like the Porsche and, and Red Bull powertrains are supposed to uh, combine or whatever they're going to be collab, collab or whatever <laughs> they're going to call themselves. Um, so they're thinking that it's going to be announced in, in the Austri- Austrian Grand Prix. Um, 
because like I said, there's no germ German home race, but uh, we really don't know what's going to happen. Cause like all these rumors out there, I mean, Zach Brown might just be saying that to play it up so they could get sold for a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Um, we have, we have no clue what might be happening. Cause yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't trust Zach's word a hundred percent on that. Like he did say, like uh we're not for sale at this time basically because last year he said like publicly like yeah a, a year ago this would have been a much different conversation but then that audi or not audi saudi um c- capital group came in and invested like 180 million to put him in a much better spot so he really it feels like he kind of flies it by the seat of his pants yeah and, and he's uh proven obviously since taking over that he's taken mclaren obviously financially especially they were like in trouble and straits and the, the team in general and they've done like obviously a great under his um control essentially so uh you know uh, like I, said, I, I wouldn't doubt if it's just a posturing thing um but then just like we were talking about i mean this also could lead to more teams on the grid um like like you mentioned andretti uh was all over miami on the in the pit lanes, trying to see, uh, you know, what the feeling was from the other teams, as well as he had a one-on-one conversation with the FIA. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Um, as much as, you know, a lot of us, especially been watching Formula One for a while, like the privateer teams, like getting the big money behind it, and then like more uh, manufacturers or engine suppliers, I think is, is exciting because then you just don't have, you know, just whatever like uh as as much as it, it is cool to watch indie like obviously they only have two engine manufacturers um when you have more then it's like you're really proving like okay you know the race on sunday sale on monday type thing um porsche has always been like that so it's it'll be interesting because like like even this season of renault engine like no one knew like they're they only have one team with their engines and they're doing a lot better than i thought they were going to do um, and then Mercedes, right? Like uh, their power units do not seem like they're uh, as powerful as they've been, uh, you know, in the past decade. Um, no one really knows why. Is it because of the fuel, probably, and other things? Um, but then even having other manufacturers come in, even though Porsche went through those testing, I mean, they might come in and totally, you know, shit the bed, a la Honda. As much of that, you know, pains me to say. But that's also why it's good that they're gonna that they're gonna make this announcement now. They have essentially three to four years to prepare for when they actually join uh, the grid. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up about the announcement and like the Porsche CEO, Porsche, sorry for the purists. People get mad when you say Porsche American butchering it. Um, the Porsche CEO said like in a pre- not press conference, it was some like automotive manufacturer convention thing but he's questioned about it on stage and he did say like oh yeah like both brands are moving forward etc etc and then almost immediately the vw group review like released an official statement saying like that's what they're working towards but it's not officially announced yet and the reason for that is there's a piece of technology that called the mguh motor generator unit dash heat and it's the super complicated piece of technology that t- takes um, <sighs> heat from the exhaust gases that the, the, the motor's burning 
and converts that into electrical energy to power up not only the batteries but the electrical system motors whatever in the in the car and it's been it was introduced in the 2014 regulations and it was massively complicated and kind of the reason why mercedes like took off dominance in 2014 when that was introduced because they were the first team to get it right so to speak and um that's been like a battle of contention because porsche porsche has been kind of flirting with f1 for I don't know what feels like a decade now. Like the last time I think they actually raced as a manufacturer or an engine supplier was, I want to say like 91, early 90s, something like that. But the big sticking point so far has been this MGUH thing. And supposedly, and we'll get to that, the 2026 rules in a minute here that's being removed and they're going to increase the power output from the batteries essentially to make it about still a thousand horsepower or whatever um which is absolutely nuts from a 1.6 liter car by the way uh but that's been kind of the sticking point but it's almost all but confirmed that that's getting removed and that is the kind of barrier for entry for porsche and audi to enter the sport i just wanted to put that point out there because i don't think people had gotten to that fact yet yeah i think i think that's a really interesting point to, to bring up and i think there's there's so much the reason why I, I bring up sports car racing right is like even zach brown who runs the mclaren you know group ceo of mclaren group and the f1 team came from sports car racing right uh you know if you watched what was it I guess it's been two years since uh, what's his name walked out of the flames, right? It's been two years. Was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. 20, 2020 Grosjean. Yeah. Romain Grosjean. So he's been racing an IndyCar, uh, you know, like Sebastian Bourdais is still like killing it with Cadillac. I, I'm, you know, he was what he, he was with Toro. Was it Toro Rosso? No, it was, was it Toro Rosso? Yeah. Yeah. He was on the Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's just a lot of crossover there. And I think it's, it's interesting too. like, you can't, you know, Aaron mentioned it, but the, the diversification of engines, engine suppliers, manufacturers, all these things. I think the one thing that, that, you know, sports car racing does better is they have been more progressive towards, uh, you know, environmentally friendly stuff, you know, better fuel or, you know, completely like, you know, kind of leaning into that way before for, for, I mean, formula one really hasn't right. They, they've made some changes to make it a little less, but they haven't really fully embraced kind of this next generation. And I think that, you know, saying that also look, the, the VW group knows they need like a, a big, they, they need the big win at this point, right. To like move away from that, diesel gate situation and as much as like maybe the world might have might have moved on from it i think like a lot of people in the car and racing you know worlds it, it probably still is lingering and still stinks around a lot of those types of things just because you can't not it was such a big thing right to, to your point earlier todd they lost so much money from that because it was just you know it's just shit like it was just it was lies it was like 
deceit. It was like everything you wouldn't want from a car manufacturer to happen, right? And then them coming into Formula One as Formula One is publicly saying, hey, we got to get more fuel efficient. We got to get more environmentally friendly. We got to be better about this. It's like a great time for them to step in and and also be like, cool, we want to be a part of that new whatever, right? So it wouldn't be Formula One without a scandalous company involved, right? So (laughs) welcome the VW group with open arms on that front. (laughs) Yeah, it's a prerequisite, actually. So, you know, (laughs) so I got to ask, since we're still on this topic and it feels like we're about to change over. um, Do you think that it's possible? So. The VW Group, as we talked about, owns all these brands, but technically they are their own companies in themselves. They they run as a sole separate company just within this umbrella. So do you think it's possible that one joins and the other doesn't? Is it a two-for-one only deal? Um, and if you think it's possible that just one joins, do you think it's more likely that it's Porsche or Audi or what do you think? The reason I ask is because Go ahead, Aaron. Porsche has been flirting with joining F1 for, like I said, like a decade, and they have technically raced in in Formula One before. Um, but they, f- I somehow feel like the more solid choice, even though Audi has taken all these steps, which I can elaborate on in a second, to to actually join Formula One. It seems like they're way more aggressive about it they're actively doing things and porsche is just like yeah we'll just join red bull whatever sounds like a done deal i don't know what do you guys think yeah i feel like um for an announcement wise they'll for sure have it will seem like it's going to be both i don't think necessarily that both would join but i don't don't think there'll be a reason for formula one to have or not allow um one of them to like either purchase another team or start a team um, I think the Porsche and Red Bull powertrains thing is going to happen. I mean, it seems everyone seems like talks about it openly, unopenly, uh, that that would happen, which they sort of take over the role of Honda, right? Like Honda's not racing, but they really are um, under HRC and, and obviously under Red Bull powertrains. Um, so I sort of think they, they sort of just take the role of Honda there and then it lets allows Porsche to get in there with a proven team, obviously a, a winning team, um, and sort of be uh there at the top or already to begin with. I think it's gonna be a little tougher for Audi, like I said, unless they purchase another team, um, which could be McLaren, but then there's a lot of teams on the grid that could be sold also. Um uh, we stick to McLaren because they're one of the ones that, you know, been talked about a lot more recently. But um who knows? Uh, I don't think necessarily they would, they would both have to come out, but I think they want them to just because, like, especially for a racing heritage, and then even like um, clientele, um, you know, they really don't go for the same market or the same type of uh, enthusiast type thing. Like, usually, I mean, I like both. It's sort of funny. I don't like VWs, but I like Audis, uh, like R like R eight, and which is a Lamborghini, right? But I don't really like Lamborghini, so it's all weird. Um, my own, that's my own personal demons. Uh, but in general, I, I think that, you know, I, they'll try their best to have them both get out there. And like I said, they, they got three to four years to figure it out for it all. And it, and it could be a thing where one comes aboard and it's just by name for a while and then slowly take over 
type thing. We, we have no idea. Like Formula One, just in the past, you know, three, four years has changed so dramatically. Three and four years from now, they might be like, hey, screw it. We're going to do 52 races and, um, you know, 27 teams because we're making a crap ton of money. And, you know, we got 12 uh, U.S. races we got to make sure we take care of. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, Porsche's got a Porsche is probably valued at what roughly 10 times what Audi is valued at. I think, I don't know. I would say it's the opposite. Actually, there's gotta be more Audis sold per year than Porsches. Yeah. Think about the A2s and A4s out there. They're not able to get a Boxster. Yeah, everybody has an A4, like, or a Q5 or a Q7. Like, granted, there's a lot of, like, Cayennes and Macans and stuff like that because SUVs are the car now. But, like, I see way more, like, RS Audi cars than I do see, like, 911s. Okay, so according to Forbes... Audi is worth about $14 billion. Uh, Number 44 on the most valuable brands list. This is 2020 list. Um, According to Fortune, uh, this is 2022. Porsche is worth about $113 billion. So that's selective math. I, I demand a recount. I definitely think there's the, the, you know, you're, you're taking this from two different sources and this is all like <laughs> some, some journalists trying to figure it out. I've been that journalist many times. So I totally understand like that there's, you know, the, the plus and minus, uh, you know, discrepancy on this is probably a good five to 10 to 20 billion. <laughs> but uh, just, just if we went off of that, like, I agree with you guys. I definitely see more Audis. But I think the brand value for Porsche is so much bigger. And that's that's kind of why I think Porsche's playing it the way they are. They don't have to commit. It's a better it's a better thing for Formula One if Porsche is part of Formula One. It's a better thing oh, for yeah. Audi if they're a part of Formula One. Right? Hundred like, percent agree. Porsche that's will move along. Oh, yeah. yeah, Porsche will move along just fine without with or without Formula One. There's the mystique of it, right? And and it's hard to say that because anybody that's joined Formula One as a fan in the last decade has never seen much of Porsche at all. And, it, you know, even the last 20, 30 years, right? But Porsche was a big part of Formula One in the early years. And I think that Porsche racing carries so much clout around the world, you know, that no matter what, it would be such a win for Formula One to have Porsche involved in Formula One that they don't have to commit to it near as near as early as, you know, Audi would. And the other thing I will say about that question, and Aaron can can probably chime in on this too. If you watch American Le Mans fa- sports car racing or, you know, World Endurance Challenge over the past 20, 30 years. So Le Mans racing, like 24-hour Le Mans is like the big race of the year. It always falls into one of these groups of racing, right? When it was, when we had American Le Mans happening, uh, which went away, I guess, eight, eight to 10 years ago now. Those sports cars 
Audi and Porsche are absolutely the most competitive. Like, think of like the Giants and the Dodgers, like Tyson and Holyfield, you know, like all any of the biggest rivalry you can think of. They, even though, yes, they're under the same umbrella as Todd said, but they are like, they only want to be out there to beat the other one. You know, like they're driven to beat like the other German brand on the on the track right and like with porsche they're all up and down you know like there's not a there's not as many audis that run gt classes in sports cars so they're not as competitive up and down but porsche is is that same way with ferrari so for me i don't think that there's any issues with them being under under an umbrella company like vw i think the teams are going to go out there and they're going to want to beat their the, the person that's closest to them you know like you know, you, you want to compete, you want to, you want to beat your, your, you know, your closest rival more than you want to beat some random, you know, person down the grid. So for me, I think that the, the I say that because in addition to the, the clout and the racing history that Porsche brings to the table, they also bring two incredible rivals from a brand perspective. If Audi's in, then that's like one of the best you know, kind of rivalries we can talk about, but also a secondary one. And it sounds crazy to say that, but a secondary one is Porsche and Ferrari, right? Like Porsche and Ferrari are, look, you're, you know, even if you're not a fan of racing, you're probably making a decision between those cars. Once you get to the point where you're going to spend the money on, on that, you know, midlife crisis vehicle. Right. So to me, like that's all good stuff. And I think, you know, I just say, bring it on, right? Like it's going to be hell watching 52 weeks and 27 teams. But if we got to do it, we got to do it. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I'll just leave it. Like there's two, besides Ferrari, there's a lot of manufacturers that have a history of racing, but I think Ferrari and Porsche more so than any other brands in the, in the world in history are their basis is behind racing. Like people know them for racing, winning, winning racing. And that's what their heritage is. And like, uh, like I said, even in the beginning, um, when we talked about them under being under VW, I mean, Porsche sort of has been, but then a lot of people don't know that because they sort of just stepped to their own, you know, uh, whatever the thing is. Uh, they just, they're just themselves. Like a lot of people don't know they're in a VW group. They, they're just Porsche and they do what they do. They yeah, race cars, they make cool, fast, balanced cars and race on them. And then, um, yeah, spend your midlife crisis money on them, and uh, be proud of that. And yeah, that's why I think Porsche. If if only one comes in, Porsche is the one to join. Yeah, I I mean I, I agree with you guys. I think obviously their path, if you're just looking at it face value, their path to entry is easier, right? Because they're not trying to be a constructor; they're just going to be an engine manufacturer. So I think I agree that. <clears throat> If it is just a one, it'd be interesting from a VW perspective if they're like, oh, only Red Bull or only Red Bull is going to take Porsche on. So Audi, sorry. Um, but the reason I asked that, kind of Nick brought it up earlier, it's the other team. So like McLaren sounds like they're not for sale right now. Um, and Nick mentioned Sal- Sauber uh, earlier, which I don't ever see happening with a German engine 
in a Italian car. Um, or I guess it's Italian slash Swiss. Cause I think Sauber is a Swiss company. I don't know. Um, but the one thing that I could totally see happening because of not only the like kind of chaos that's going on within the team, but the absolute dog shit year they're having is Aston. Aston as a company has a history of being sold around like a, you know, a woman of the night. Um, they were owned by Ford. Then they were owned by Tata, I think. And now I, he, I guess Lawrence Stroll owns them outright. Um, and I could totally see him putting all of this money into it to try to pump up the value of the company. Cause I think they're putting like 400 million into their new facility at Aston. Um, and then selling it to Audi because he's just like, oh, what the hell did I get myself into? He doesn't seem like a, a good CEO for that team. Um, and they've, you know, got Mike Crack helming the ship there. Uh, yeah, I saw Nick smile. I can't not say his name without so without laughing oh, about no. it. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I, I could honestly see him because of what's going on and wanting to get his billions back being like, all right, we tested this out. Your race car dream is over young stroll. Let's, you know, let's make the money while we can. And, uh, Lance can go cry in his, you know, wipe, wipe his tears with billion dollar bills or whatever. I mean, I think that's a great point. Like Aston, is, is like is it underperforming they're spending a lot of money right now but like in two three years like what's lance like that's also the end i've always wondered what the end game is for for them buy the team son's the driver he's not going to dr- drive forever right like and even then it's like is it worth it if somebody's like waving that big fat check in front of your face um and even if they just took over the name it's just like whatever i mean it happens plenty of times right like if we go through with all the names in formula one throughout the years <laughs> you see so many crazy crazy names change from manufacturers and not manufacturers uh, could happen see yeah i think that's a really interesting point also kind of to transition to the, the next part of this conversation right you know as, as new changes happen in cars that becomes more expensive for these teams. So, you know, if, if your kid is not competitive in the car two, three years from now, and you've got a bunch, dump a bunch more money into these new cars and these new changes that are going to come, you know, it's a hot seat, man. Like no matter, no matter how much money you got, you know, you don't want to burn too much of it. Right. And if you're not winning and you're not competitive, you know, I mean, we complained about it on the last episode. You don't get enough. You don't get enough camera time on the on the racing that happens in the middle of the field. So if you're not at the top, you know, you're not getting the 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 return on your investment and the publicity that should be coming from a Formula One team. So I'm I'm definitely kind of you know in agreement and in terms of like that seems to be the most obvious kind of place for somebody to jump in and and make a purchase right now. Um, I think Aaron made an interesting point about Renault only having one team though, too, right? Like, you know, supplying an engine to just one team is really interesting, which, you know, 
the Andretti conversation is going to come up repeatedly over the next year or two. You know, who knows what else is going to come up in between now. You know, we'll have, we might have a, another rich energy, you know, on our hands for one of these teams over the next, you know, two, three years. I mean, that's like kind of the fun part of forming the one, right? Like you never know who the hell is going to hop in and, and dump a bunch of money in and you have, you know, random, uh, random pairings. Like, was it, I, it was Red Bull over a few years back that had uh, like the Honda powered infinity cars or something like that. Wasn't that like a thing? No, they still had Re- Renault engines, but they were branded because Renault owns Nissan infinity, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right. Even Aston was part of Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aston Martin was the title sponsor <laughs> yeah. of Red Bull last year. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah. or I guess, just, wait, is it two years ago now? Two years know. ago. Yeah. I mean, I say Haas, just take the money, get the Audi money. No, all <laughs> aboard the Steiner ship, man. I mean, they keep, they're keep, on the up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because you talked about before, like Haas is United States team. It's like, I'm like, how are you guys not capitalizing on this? Like this money? Like, well, I'm helping them right now, by the way, Haas, the merch store has just opened up like this past week and they're a lot cheaper than most Formula one teams, except you pay a, a crap ton of money for shipping. So you can buy a $30 t-shirt, which is like, Hey, that's like streetwear prices. Right. But then you pay like $30 in shipping, <laughs> but support, yeah. su- support your local or your country. <laughs> if you're in the States or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've been, so let's talk about these rule changes. Yeah. What what have you guys seen what that is noteworthy so far? So I've got the the big announcement for the 2026 rules, but they also made some others that I don't have too much knowledge on. They talked about going to six sprints next year, which has apparently been all but agreed upon with the team principals. So we're going to see six sprint races next year um, and a new qualifying format, which I have zero details on, but they're going to do some sort of new qualifying format or try something out. I, I don't know about that. We'll have to talk about that later if you guys don't know. But the big announcement is they're talking about the 2026 regulations, which will be because as we've talked about before on the podcast, they're under an engine freeze right now. So they can't develop any new parts, pieces, technology, anything for the engine other than they had to make it acceptable for the new E10 fuel this year. Um, but they're already talking about the next era of Formula One, and there's six pillars that they're um, trying to uh, achieve. Um, one is the significantly reduced drag, and this is not only to improve racing because we talk about following and you know wheel-to-wheel action all the time, but their kind of bigger objective there is to reduce. Um, or improve efficiency because F1 cars burn fossil fuels still. So if they, the way that they're talking about it right now is it would almost be like active suspension in a sense. There would be like a high drag setting for the turns. So they get high downforce and they can, you know, still go 140 around a pretty tight corner. But on the straights, they would like raise up or change the flaps somehow. And uh, 
reduced drag so they can go to hit that, you know, over 200 down the straights. But it would also, the less drag you have, the less energy you have to use to get up to those speeds. Therefore, it would re- improve fuel efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. Um, next would be, this one's kind of a vague one, but maintain and improve on recent lessons learned about close racing and cars being able to follow each other. Again, this comes down to drag and the aerodynamics, but they want even closer racing, air quotes. Um, this is the most important one to me, but reduce car dimensions. The cars, I don't know if there's, it was kind of a viral post going around um, at the beginning of this year because they had Fernando Alonso's 2008 car lined up to the 2022 Alpine car. And it was literally like a micro machine next to a limo. It was crazy how how much bigger in the last, you know, 10, 12 years that these cars have gotten and have gotten heavier. They've increased uh, hundreds of pounds. And most of that is for safety. Um, But they keep raising and adding all this technology, which adds weight. Um, Next would be reduce or contain car mass. Again, this is lowering the weight. So this is especially prevalent this year. Look, in the very slow corners, the cars look very awkward and fumbly to drive. So they want to make the cars smaller and lighter and more nimble, which would improve racing. Because if you look back at like classic races, 2000, the 2000s era, um, the cars in the slow corners, like when you see them in like Casino Square or Rascats in Monaco, they were like very nimble. And now it's, I can't even wait to see what they are like this year. That's going to be such an interesting, awkward race. We talk, we say the word processional every episode. So there it is again, but that's going to be, they're like, the cars are literally six feet wide now. And they used to be like four, four and a half feet wide. So street tracks, you can't really pass in these cars. Um, Lastly, or the last two, I should say sustainability, um, they are talking about going to a hundred percent synthetic and or renewable fuel in 2026, whether that be E85 or something like it. Uh, but they want to improve again. This is the eco stuff that Nick was talking about earlier up until now, up until this year, formula one hadn't really done anything about, um, sustainability. And obviously, we're all moving towards a pretty all-electric future, but they don't want to yet. They want some sort of combustion engine, so they're going to be changing the fuels to some sort of eco-friendly or sustainable fuel, 100% uh, sustainable fuel, and talking about carbon capture or recapture, whatever it is, um, to try to be 100% carbon neutral by 2030. Um and this is the funniest one to me that they talked about. So car, in, in, ter- in terms of car safety, they're talking about moving towards active and connected safety systems. So this is the weirdest one to me. So like, you know, in road cars now, they have like some sort of camera system or whatever, or sensing thing. Like my car, it has Audi pre-sense. And like, if I get too close to a car or am I not slowing down fast enough at a stoplight or I get too close to a wall, it like beeps and freaks out at me. They're talking about having some sort of safety systems like that in Formula One cars 
going 200 miles an hour inches from each other. How on God's green earth is that going to happen? Anyway, so those are the six pillars that they're working towards for the 2026 regs. Um, yeah, I, what are you guys' thoughts? Like, I think everybody is for lighter, faster, or not faster necessarily, but lighter, fa- uh, lighter, smaller, more nimble, safe cars, right? But the other ones are just what? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I think I think the uh, putting any sort of you know whether it be camera driven or or sensor driven you know uh, safety anything on it right I mean just imagine like just imagine the car breaking slightly earlier than than when Max wants to break I mean he's just gonna retire in twenty twenty five then. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think smaller cars would be awesome. Um, you know, I mean, having not been to a formula one race, I, I can't really speak to it personally, but just seeing some of the stuff that went around, it was like, you know, there was some, there was some like fake comparisons that went around too, but like the real comparison is still like just so drastically different, you know? And I'm just a fan of smaller cars anyway, even street cars. I just think that, it's more fun to drive cars like that. You know, when you've got, it's, it's gotta be difficult as a driver to be able to calculate, Oh, you know, my front wing is literally eight and a half feet from me right now. You know, like imagine driving a Cadillac, you know, from the seventies at 200 miles an hour, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. So, um, yeah, I'm all for those, those things. Um, and the sustainability stuff, you know, like, look, you know, if you're if you're the pinnacle of of automotive de- design, development, technology, all of those things, you should be on the cutting edge of this. If you're Formula One, no ifs, ands or buts about it. I understand the the political logistics and hurdles that come with that, because most of your sponsors and most of your money comes from, you know, the Middle East and the oil money that's there. But look, you know, the bigger you get, the more people are going to push back on this and you might as well just get started on it. Right. It's, it's for the betterment of all of us. Anyway, we're going to go that direction. You can't avoid it. If you do avoid it, it you're going to, you're not going to have racing anyway, because the planet's going to, you know, s- spontaneously combust. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? So, um, and Todd mentioned earlier, like the MGUH um, being removed and then uh, talking about the sustainability and the obviously a fuel source um, that all actually was, was part of, you know, quote unquote, or, you know, like some of the talkings of what made VW decide to join uh, because like MGUH was a big part. Cause like Todd mentioned, it's one of the most complex expensive pieces of the power unit. So getting rid of it was a like a apparently a huge sticking point for them um, join, joining Formula One because now they don't have to worry about it. Also goes to them um, both both of the Audi and Porsche. If you haven't paid attention to their street cars or their racing in the past like decade, they've been doing more electric stuff. Um, they both actually were in Formula E. Uh, what's it? Um, Audi last uh, uh, pulled out Formula E last year. Porsche is still doing it, but then, you know, they're, they're both 
going that direction. So like um, removing the MGUH, up, upping the capacity of the battery, um, sustainability in terms of renewable sources. Uh, that's all stuff that sort of follows what the they're doing as manufacturers. So that's also a big reason why this is the timing for them to, to join um, type thing. But yeah, for sure, like smaller cars, the quick, nimbler, uh, more twitchy cars were a lot more fun to watch. Um, like that, that Renault or the, the Lonzo is a prime example. That car is, Todd, I think you said it was a 2008. If, if you watch some old replays of that car, you can just see how crazy that car handled. Um, it's tiny, twitchy. It seemed like, a, you know, crazy to drive, but it, when it was on, it was like the craziest thing to watch. Um, and, and just in general, like I said, uh, seeing those cars, the cars now are just, they're pretty large in comparison and getting them smaller, getting, you know, getting them to be able to be side by side on a road course without thinking that they're going to like for sure touch, uh, I think is a good thing. Um, and just to get like the weight down. I mean, it's, it's, a, the cars are definitely safer than they have ever been. Uh, but then they could keep those safety things and still make the cars smaller. Like, you know, like a small car now, yeah, it's not going to be the size of the CRX, but it's going to like survive a 60 mile per hour crash with like nobody getting injured. Um, they could do that Formula One. In terms of some of the most of the other stuff, like the safety stuff, yeah, like I have no idea what that is about. Um, everyone, there's a lot of speculation, and it might just them them talking about it and nothing comes out of it. I mean, hopefully it's racing. I mean, pretty much everyone who's a race car driver and, you know, a big a real fan know that it's, it's, there's danger to it. That's, that's the reason we watch it realistically. I mean, yeah, esports is fun, but, and, you know, like, uh, watching guys actually on the brink, you know, on that very edge for that 10th of a second, ten, you know, not, not even 10th of a second, thousandth of a second, um, is what makes the sport so great. And so I'm not sure what they're going to do with that whole portion of it. The, the, just in general, though, I think the, those ideas that they have for 2026 is good just because it gives them something to build on. I mean, none, none of those are the same thing or set in stone yet. Um, but then it sounds like, you know, that's sort of the way they're leaning. And, you know, I think for the most part, it's a good foundation. Um, getting racing the same way that they want it now where it's going to be even closer Keeping the 1.6 uh, V6 hybrid, that way there's less, uh, you know, cost for teams to, you know, try to manufacture a new engine or figure other stuff out. I think it's good. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of good stuff from it. And there's some weird stuff also, but I think it's a good direction that they're going. Yeah, yeah, I... I'm really interested on what they're talking about with the the active aero type of deal because if they don't do active suspension like we saw with the Williams in the 90s, that means active aerodynamic flaps, right? So like, which we already kind of have with DRS, like the flap opens and that's technically active aero. But think about like all the little flaps and front wing and rear wing and, uh, you know, side pods and stuff moving on the car that's all hydraulics or electrically powered or something so that adds weight so that scares me maybe don't get too ambitious and take too big of a bite there just like keep the car safe obviously safety is paramount make them smaller make them lighter 
I think will be cool. Because we've already seen this year, five races in, that these new regulations, for the most part, minus this porpoising thing, which I'm sick of talking about, um, ha- like has pretty much worked. We see, like, with the exception of Miami, I guess, and that one DRS train that we spent the you know middle third of the race watching um it's been good like it's been really close battling even the leaders um you're not having you know p1 20 seconds ahead of p2 really like they're within a couple seconds seconds of each other and that's always exciting so anyway uh last thing i did find that new qualifying format that they're talking about uh, in 2023, which this is really interesting. So they're not doing a ton different. It's still going to be Q1, Q2, Q3, but they're only going to have 11 sets of tires as opposed to 13. And they're going to test it out at two races next year where Q1, you have to use the hard tire. Q2, you have to use the medium tire. Q3, you have to use the soft tire, which is pretty interesting because we hear drivers talk about it all the time that like, oh, our setup just doesn't like the hard tire this this race or we were great on the softs and then we switched to the medium and we just lost a bit of you know front end grip or rear end grip or whatever it is. So forcing the teams to use a certain tire is pretty interesting because sometimes we've seen like Mercedes or Red Bull be like as fast as the next car, a Ferrari or whoever on the medium tire, which is, you know, maybe a second a lap supposedly slower, but because of how their car is set up, it's just as fast on the medium tire as the next car is on the soft tire. So that's a really kind of interesting tweak. And I'm kind of like that. What do you guys think? I mean, like, obviously we wait and see, but. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, I think it's cool that they're testing it out, you know, like hopefully it's something I I like the idea of just putting all cars equal, you know, like there's something to be said about the ability for the teams to choose and navigate those choices. Right. Because that's what ultimately makes these races interesting, even when a car is more dominant because there's room for mistakes. But I do think that it's interesting to just say, like, hey, at least maybe it's kind of like sprint races, right? It's just a little bit different, but it gives us a different perspective as to like, you know, how the cars work and how they compete. So to, to kind of, you know, say, Hey, we're running hards, we're running mediums and we're running softs through all of these qualifyings. Everybody's on the same things. We really get to see like what the cars do on the track, you know, as close to head to head as possible. So I like that idea. I uh, give them props or thinking of, of different ideas and, and, they, and trying them out before even, you know, implementing them in my mind. I'm thinking about like how teams can with gamership, like mess with that though. Like if they, so right now we're in a whole new regulation, right? The teams don't know how these tires are going to react to their, to their cars right now because the cars are evolving race by race almost um, as it is. But say like two years from now, when they know their car setup for the most part, and you go to a track that you sort of know, do you like sit out the whole, like, he want, you know, like, like free practice one? Because like. No, no, no. This is qualifying, not practice. Oh, okay, okay. So if you sit out Q1, you're, yeah, you're, okay, okay. you're starting 15th gotcha, or lower, gotcha. right? Okay, now, now I see it. That's, that's interesting. I mean, like I said, if they try it twice, you see what the results are. 
Um, but but you like you mentioned, like sometimes some some cars just don't work well one tire, and which sucks, right? Like like um, I mean Miami is a good example. Like uh, Red Bull fully mid like on the mediums, they were you know far outpacing the Ferraris. Um, but then uh, otherwise the other tires they felt like they're even or losing to Ferrari. So um, yeah, that's uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I wonder if. And I don't know the, how Pirelli the expectations for the tires are going to be like year by year. If they're going to keep the ones that they use this year or, the, or just like um, recently, you know, they've been changing the each race has the different ones that they're going to take in. But even then, are they going to change the, the formula of the compounds um, from 2022 to 2023 to 2024? Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, I have, haven't always been the biggest fan of sprint races, but it seems like, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like we sort of know that we're going to have more sprint races. Um, but another qualifying format like that, actually, I'm probably more for it than sprint races so, right now, theoretically. Yeah, I, I like the the three sprint races. But six, I feel like it's going to be too many. I feel like it's going to start – like we've had some pretty exciting sprint weekends so far. We had three last year. You know, obviously Silverstone being the first one, that was really exciting with the, the max pass and then the giant crash. Um, uh, and then like the other two – actually what? Monza was another one. Max and Lewis crashed. Um, it, it, but like they, they've been exciting in some way, shape, or form so far. I feel like six is going to be too many, and we'll end up with like a super, like oh, I'm in you know P two. I'm just going to stay in P two to try to start the race that counts for points on P two. Um, but if they did this like a couple of times a year just to shake things up, I'm cool with that. I don't want this to become the new qualifying format, and especially if they make the like this probably wouldn't happen but before you know that the qualifying format if you st- if you're in the top 10 whatever tire you qualified on in q2 you had to start the race on i could see them being like oh you know the top 10 has to start on the softs the uh 11 through 15 has to start on the mediums 16 through 20 has to start on the hards based on their elimination that would just be too like gimmicky force, you know, forcing strategy in a way. Cause Yuki's going to go out there and burn through his tires, even on the hards. And it's just gonna, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see that. All right. Yeah. That, that would definitely be chaotic. I think a little too chaotic, but yeah, I wouldn't want to see this like new tire rule, even if they don't force whoever to start on what, uh, I wouldn't want to see it more than like, you know, two, three times a year. Like I like the shakeups that Liberty Media is trying. Like if not, you know, that everybody has this, if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing. I like them trialing these things as special weekends to like keep things interesting. Um, but we already see that like sprint, the sprints specifically are impacting the development cycle of all these teams bringing upgrades because they were all supposed to bring upgrades to uh what was that imola and then nobody like not really anybody did because it was a sprint weekend and you don't get as much time to test so 
I don't want to see it. De- like three's good. Six, I think, is too many. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it'll be 29 race calendar next year, and six will be just fine. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, this might be something you guys could look at for a future pod to see what the, the viewership change is for sprint weekends um, in comparison. Especially, specifically, obviously, instead of qualifying, it's a sprint race. Do they really get more people watching on that Saturday? Or, um, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I'm guessing they do because obviously they're jumping it up. But I don't think it's for the viewership, right? This is purely for attendance because historically, the casual F1 fan, even the casual F1 fan interested enough to actually go to a race, wants to see the race. And if they can't go to the race, they want to see qualifying. They don't give a shit about Friday. It's nerds like me that are like hardcore trying to watch Friday while working. That like, oh, like, oh, you know, Mercedes is testing this new setup or Latifi just spun into a wall again. Like, that's the stuff I care about on Fridays. Nobody really cares about on Friday. Like, Nick, do you watch Fridays? Just like, I watch every Friday. Uh, Even if it's, I'm watching it at night, I'm watching Fridays. I mean, it depends on if if any of my uh, clients or employers are listening to this. Then, of course, I don't watch on Fridays, Todd. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, one of my employees definitely listens to this. So um, don't be like me. Uh, I'm definitely <laughs> at least listening to free practice when it's going on. Uh, most of the time, it's at like 6 a.m., but. I agree, though. Like the the average fan is not going to watch. You know, look. The, I think Aaron has a good point. I think we should look into that. I think it would be a cool episode to dig into, like some of those stats if we can find them. But I do think that it's really about like getting more people there on Saturdays, uh, you know, and spending more money and buying more merch and buying more hot dogs and buying more beers and all those things that people spend money on at the track. But I think it's I think it's a really fascinating thing, and I. I you know, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know how I feel about the sprint races. I mean, from my point of view, it's absolutely about the attendance at the track because it's a gigantic operation getting the Formula One into and out of a racetrack. And if you are a track owner and you could say like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to have 400,000 people come to your your racetrack, but only 30 of, you know, 30,000 on Friday and a hundred thousand on Saturday and then 300,000 on Sunday. Um, Or we can have a sprint weekend at your track and we're going to have, you know, a hundred thousand on Friday because there's qualifying is on Friday and then 200,000 on Saturday and then 300,000 on Sunday. Like it just financially concession sales, parking, whatever the track's going to make more money and they have to pay a crap ton to just get in there. So, Obviously, yeah, no. there. It's a to me. It's about the actual fan attendance at the track, not necessarily online or on broadcast. Whatever, watching. You guys bring up a good point, and, and actually, now that I think about it, I mean, probably does help because just for non-attend or you know non-attendees, um, if there's people watching like us or whatnot, you know, how many more? Um, just people as sponsorships like right like you're gonna like well you know before we used to only have forty thousand people watching and now we have one hundred fifty thousand people watching on fridays 
don't you want to throw your banner on that on that uh, techno wall or <laughs> do whatever else right like obviously liberty is all about making that that money especially since the team of live nation so um i'm sure that it all plays into the part of making that almighty dollar so i mean of course it does so yep totally totally all right any last parting thoughts before we get out of here predictions for the what is it spanish grand prix is next uh yep max p20 um Julie's not here, i'm so. just kidding uh predictions i'm gonna go i i know i already said this for the miami gp but in p3 at least in qualifying will be valtteri bottas um he's looked really good i think uh it could suit the alpha uh p2 charles p1 max and i need to change that reminds me i need to change my fantasy team back uh our predictions man i wish they would have showed time they never showed times in preseason huh in spain because i really want to know how how the cars have changed yeah that was a non-broadcasted one yeah damn it um that's the nerdy side Uh, i think um because Ferrari's supposed to actually bring some upgrades, right? First time. Well, this Supposedly, will be the yeah. first first race they bring upgrades. Um, and actually, yeah, I have a good topic for you guys on the next one. Talk about um, how Ferrari hasn't hasn't brought any upgrades, and they're talking about that Red Bull and Mercedes are going to run out of money to do any upgrades. So uh, they're thinking there are they're in good standing, and I actually tend to believe them. Uh, so I'm going to go. Uh, third, Carlos, Carlos back in his groove, not winning, but doing good enough. Actually, actually, hold on. I'm going to go Max, third, bold prediction, Charles, second, Carlos winning his first. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, oh. I, take. I don't know if my fantasy team is going to match that. <laughs> Spain would literally explode if that happened. Yeah, His I first mean, win in Spain. I just, hey. like right now, like I said, with them doing upgrades, man, like, because they literally have not done any upgrades. And geez. that would be amazing. So that's, that's the, that's the hope. I'm, my fantasy team probably won't represent that, but um, I'm, I'm rooting for I mean, I, I, I would go, I, I could second that. Like, that would be like a, a very cool way for Carlos to get his first win. And then, and then I can only see, I can only imagine, like, you remember Checo's dad in Mexico last year when he got, I think it was P2 or P3, yeah. and he was like, he acted like he just won the championship. Yep. Imagine Carlos signed senior, his son winning his first race in Spain. He'd be a mess. It'd be amazing. Yeah. I'd probably be so a mess. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and then the week after is Monaco. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> For Charles. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna stick with Aaron's. Aaron's choice there. I'm gonna say Carlos at number one. I'm gonna say Max at number two. Uh, I'm actually gonna throw a curveball in there though. I'm gonna say Lewis is gonna get some something together and and. Get his first podium of the year. Second. Or second podium, yeah. 
Only because he's won six, six out of the last eight, seven out of the last eight in Spain, right? Something yeah, crazy oh, like that. Last six. That's uh, the spiciest take we've had yet. Yeah, because Miami um, was the first new track, right? That Lewis has not won. I think I don't know how many years, but it, it was like every new race. Like I think I can't. I don't know if it's Lewis or Mercedes. I'm pretty sure it was Lewis who has won the inaugural race. For like years and years, the Miami was the first one that, um, yeah, it was not a Mercedes at the top step. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a hot take. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a blast. A little bit over our our normal time, but hopefully everybody enjoys this episode. Thanks, Aaron, for joining us. Um, I guess. Let everybody know how they can connect with the outside of the show. Uh, uh, on Instagram, I'm T Easy. On Twitter, I'm T Easy F1. And shout out to Charles Leclerc for crashing Nikki Lauda's car in Monaco today. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a rough one. Hopefully, the car's all right. Um, find me on Twitter, Instagram, on the Discord, Secret Discord, of course, under. A-I-R-O-N-0828. But more importantly, obviously, just follow um, the Discord in general and all the podcasts under the Sneaker History Umbrella. Yeah. Uh, Exhaust Notes FM on all the channels. But yeah, hop in the Discord and have a conversation with us. Uh, thank you all for rocking with us, supporting us, listening. Make sure you leave a review. Give us some feedback. We appreciate you all. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.